Welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Mick West. My guest today is Tom. Tom is someone that I just met about a week ago online. We actually uh, were on the podcast of a mutual friend, and we were having a conversation about 9-11. And Tom is a, a believer in some of the conspiracy theories around 9-11, and a disbeliever in some of the other ones and we had like a very interesting conversation about that and so i wanted to get tom on my podcast to kind of catch up with uh what's been going on since then it's only a week ago but uh we will see so tom welcome to tales from the rabbit hole mick how you doing man doing very well thanks for having me on appreciate it no it's uh, i'm very glad to have you on because it was a very interesting conversation we had uh last week uh, around uh, 9-11. Maybe we could kind of do like a little kind of recap of uh, of yeah. what we talked about. I mean, you talked about initially like kind of how you came to believe in uh, that 9-11 was an inside job, essentially. Right. So it was um, 9-11 was the first conspiracy theory I ever got into. And I think it's the most enduring one because you know, there's been so much activity around it. But the way I got into it originally, because I, w- I was not a conspiracy theorist at the time at all. And I was sitting on the sofa next to my uh, roommate's girlfriend. And, you know, I was just watching the TV a couple of days after 9-11. George Bush was on there. He was looking all kind of, I don't know, pleased himself. Hmm. And things really seemed to be going well in going in George Bush's direction. You know, he was getting a lot of a lot of support. He was His numbers were going up, you know, his approval ratings. And... I was just musing to myself. I just turned around to my roommate's girlfriend and said, oh, you know, it kind of seems like this 9-11 thing has been working out pretty well for George Bush. And she had a very emotional reaction. She said, I can't believe that you would suggest they had anything to do with perpetrating this, whatever. So she, she kind of accused me of being a conspiracy theorist. And really, at that point, I wasn't. But her reaction was really interesting. And I guess maybe I was like a little bit offended by like, by the mm-hmm. fact she shouted at me. But it really, it was it was. It, it, it was an interesting reaction. I, I remember just going into my into my room, getting on my computer, and Google was a fairly new thing back then. It, it was it was in the early days of the internet, and I just Googled Osama bin Laden and CIA, and I just put that in, and then you know the rabbit hole just opened in front of me. There was just a, already there was just a million things on there about it. Yeah. So like two days after, there was uh, stuff about nine eleven conspiracy theories online. I. I can't remember the exact day. I think it could even have been the day after. It could have been a couple right. of days later. It might have even been a week later, but it was very soon after. I feel like it was the day after, though. But it was um, there was a lot of stuff specifically about Osama bin Laden. Yeah. And then there was, then there was like, um, yeah, then things started progressing rapidly like, in the news after, after that. And the conspiracy theories, everything was coming thick and fast. The information was coming thick and fast. I can't remember specifically if there were a lot of um, sp- theories about the towers coming down, controlled demolition. I can't remember what was really happening there. What I remember was that there was uh, this history of Osama bin Laden and the CIA that, and, you know, the Mujahideen and the Cold War and, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 in, in the Mujahideen in, in Afghanistan, which was funded apparently by the CIA through the Pakistani Secret Service. And there was all this stuff coming up. And there seemed to be some legitimate links, you know, between between the bin Ladens and and our intelligence services. And I think what it was that really, like, really intrigued me at the very beginning was that no one was talking about it. Everyone was talking about Osama bin Laden. 
But mm-hmm. no one was talking about the relationship between the Bin Ladens and our intelligence services in the mainstream media. And as time went on, a lot of the feeling that I was getting, that there was information that was being ignored, this feeling was getting compounded as more and more stuff was just being ignored. Yeah. So it's interesting, like, I mean, you, I remember you telling me the story the first time, and I didn't really think about this point of, that much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you talk to your friend who was sat next to you, and she had this reaction. She kind of got angry with you for, mm-hmm. like, you know, having suspicions. And then you, you went and you looked on the internet and you saw this stuff. Uh, in a way, were you, like, trying to support your initial feelings? Like, because your friend had been so angry, you thought, well, I, I better go and check this out because, like, you know, she's had this strong reaction. I should defend myself. Yeah, I mean, I never went back and tried to defend myself against this person again. Mm. And she, we weren't close. It was random chance. And, um, and you know, I guess if anyone shouts at you, there's always going to be some sort of indignance yeah. there, right? So, so I'm sure there was something there that made me go and look. But by the time I was sitting down looking at this stuff, on the, I wasn't thinking about her at all. It was, I, I'm pretty sure I never spoke to her about this topic again. It's yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. So, but at the same time, the feeling, yeah, the feeling was that look, this whole thing, conspiracy theories, looking into conspiracy theories, is it's an emotional minefield, you know. And you 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 know this. There's um, like some people get addicted to conspiracy theories, and you know I can imagine how that works. And and the whole rabbit hole thing, you know, it's it's the, the what you talk about, you know, it's there. Right? I believe it's there. But it was um, so yes, I'm sure there was something there. You know, there's a lot yeah. of contributing factors to, to motivate you in, into looking into these things, of course. It's like, yeah, I think people often say about conspiracy theorists, and you know, I'm not saying that you were doing this exactly, is that uh, they only look for evidence that supports uh, their belief. They don't look for evidence that uh, disconfirms or falsifies their belief. But you, you, I think, you know, you talked about falsification before, and you, you do actually look for evidence against the belief is that would that be fair to say yeah i think most of i've after i started looking into 9-11 i i've looked into a lot of different conspiracy theories and a lot of them i i believed for a while and i don't believe anymore and some of them are easily disprovable some of them you just don't have enough information out there to really verify their veracity you know they're so yeah so yeah, I and I'm always looking for the counter viewpoint because look, what's the point of believing something if it's easily disproven? There's there's mm-hmm. no point, and that's why it's, it's really nice to talk to you because it's very rare to talk to someone who I consider you a very intelligent person, like academically bright as well. So it's nice to talk to someone like you who actually knows what they're talking about, who isn't immediately dismissive and is prepared to take you know these conversations seriously to an extent you know that or at least like listen to the arguments and really weigh them up and do some research and that's i think that's all too rare with a lot of these things especially say like with flat earth and um right. which I'm, i don't believe in flat earth but i did start looking into it and a lot of the people who try and debunk flat earth they're not debunking the the flat earthers the flat earthers are 10 steps ahead in terms of like what information they they're on top of and the people who are debunking them is like oh you think you're going to walk, walk off the edge of the earth and fall off the edge of the planet and of course you know they they get the whole theory wrong they don't even know what their theory is so it's and it's very hard i've always found it very difficult to find someone who's intelligent who knows what they're talking about who can actually have a nice conversation with you about about any of these 
conspiracy theories. Yeah, it is a problem with the flat Earth. I think uh, um, when when what year would you have been into it? Was it been, been like two or three years ago or longer? Flat Earth thing. Flat Earth. Uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe it was uh, three or four years ago. I was I spent a month. I I listened to a, a, a video where Eric Dubay yeah. was being interviewed, and he he has his um he comes up with like all these uh all these points which just make you think you know you know that something 200 200 proofs and things like that right 200. and none of the, none of them are proofs but all of yes. them all, <laughs> a lot of them are like uh ah i didn't think of that ah, ah. and then and then you try and look into these things and you find it's actually very difficult to research a lot of this stuff. It's very difficult to come up with definitive answers. I think that's why the flat earth conspiracy theory has been so enduring is it's difficult to prove or disprove. Like how do you prove that you live on a globe? How do you prove that you live on a flat planet? I mean, you, I don't think you can. So like with, with that then, if, if you can't prove, you know, if you can't prove the Earth is flat or the Earth is round, I, wh- how do you personally pick which one to believe in? Well, I guess it was for me. I'm just, I was, just, I, I was looked through all the arguments. I, I, I thought you know, some of the arguments were very interesting. But at the end of the day, if you watch a sunset, a sunset, yeah. you can't, you can't explain away a sunset with the flat Earth theory. If you just sit, stand there, and just watch the sunset, and that was what did it for me. And then the other thing was um, one of the things that I found quite compelling at the beginning. It was, uh, it was they come up with this formula for figuring out um, the curvature of the Earth. So, like, mm-hmm. what, you, what you know, how if you can see a building from like fifty miles away, like how much of the building you should be able to see. There's that whole formula they have. But I just realised after looking into it for a little while, this formula is like way too simplistic. They're the the formula that a lot of these guys are promoting, it was uh, it was way too simple. And so, I'm like, okay, that was a lie. And so listen, and I can't say that I know anything one way or the other. I think that's one of the points I was making in in our conversation before. Look, I'm not saying that I know for sure that 9/11 was a controlled demolition or an inside job. I don't know these things. I think, and, and I think my main complaint with the whole thing is that the conversation has never been taken seriously, and the people on the side of the controlled demolition or the people who, who believe that 9/11 was an inside job or whatever. They have some really good points, and they have some good points mm-hmm. that haven't been properly discussed. And the uh, NIST, you know, the National Institute for Science and Technology, who did the, the, the WTC7 report, they were funded with $16 million. They didn't, they didn't um, apply the scientific method fully, and they left us with a lot of questions. And, and then all, all the questions on the, on the conspiracy theory side, if you like, have been completely dismissed people have just been called crazy and life has just gone on as though nothing happened but there's a lot of people who i think have all the best intentions who would love to get to the truth of this yeah yeah we talked about this quite a bit like you you feel that uh, nist didn't follow the scientific method because they didn't do an experiment to replicate uh, the collapse of world trade center seven yeah, like replication or falsification is important. Right. Like releasing your data is important. You were saying that we should pay attention to science, a scientific consensus, and that should be a persuasive thing. 
it should certainly be a factor, I think, because if, if lots of scientists agree with something and only a very small number of scientists disagree with it, then uh, generally, you know, most of the time for most things, then uh, the, uh, the the consensus is, is the correct. Now, of course, science changes all the time. Like at some point, you know, the, all the scientists believed one thing and they were all essentially wrong. And then someone comes along and says, hey, uh, you know, this bacteria causes ulcers. And they're all like, yeah, that's nonsense. And then he does an experiment and demonstrates it. And then science changes. You have these paradigm shifts. But these are very, very rare. And they also come along with, with replicable evidence. So you know, having a small number of, of scientists like disagree with something, yeah, sure, maybe they are right. But if they don't really have the evidence to back it up, then you know, in the absence of that, I'm going to go with the consensus. Right, but... What we have here is, yeah, maybe there's a consensus scientist. I don't know if there is a consensus of uh, scientists that believe that WTC7 came down due to fire. I don't know if there's been a proper study. And even if there was like a, a proper survey, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, like a, a consensus to me, like a, a consensus. Of, you should That shouldn't even be a term, a scientific consensus, because this consensus isn't scientific. Mm -hmm. It's by its very mm -hmm. nature. It's pseudoscience. And there are... As you say, there's many instances of scientists getting things wrong. And then when something is kind of politicized like this, I think the dangers of, of scientists just like hiding behind a safe opinion. It's very high. Let's, let's, let's talk about the consensus thing a bit. Like I, I, I participated in a study. I don't know if we talked about this before. It was about chemtrails. Right. And we we wanted to to get like some kind of what is the scientific consensus about about chemtrails. So uh, it it was some other scientists who were, who initiated this study, and these were people who were do, doing geoengineering research, and they were a bit fed up with people like you know claiming that they were destroying the world when they weren't actually doing anything at all yet. Right, right. Uh, and so they said like, well, let's get some scientific consensus on what these these trails in the sky actually are. So we got together like four pictures of uh, trails that the chemtrail people thought were suspicious. And we got a bunch of chemical tests that they said were suspicious. And then we took those and we, we brought them to uh, expert scientists, you know, scientists who, who knew about the atmosphere, atmospheric scientists, basically, and asked them, you know, what do these pictures show? What do these chemical tests show? And the consensus that we got from the, these scientists. There's about 70-odd scientists, I think, that we managed to get uh, to talk on the record, mm -hmm. uh, was that these were pictures of contrails and that the chemical uh, test didn't show anything out of the ordinary, even though the, the chemtrail people said they did. So we got this, essentially, a scientific consensus from a sampling of scientists. And we didn't ask all the scientists. And we, we, we published a paper that like, uh, showed these results. And so now there's a published paper that has the scientific consensus on what these these trails in the sky actually are. Mm -hmm. uh, now, if if we could do something similar, this is actually something I've, I've thought of trying to do. If we could do something similar with, um, let's say, structural engineers. Mm -hmm. and so we got a true random sampling of, say, 100 structural engineers. And we asked them, you know, do you think that this was a controlled demolition? And we present you know, the, the, the evidence from architects and engineers from 9-11 Truth. You know, here's the 10 points, the rapid collapse, blah, blah, blah. Right. And we show this to 100 engineers and say 98 of those 100 engineers said, uh, this, is, this is just a fire-driven collapse. It's not a controlled demolition. And you know, final answer. 
and there's a couple who said they're not they're not sure, and maybe there's one who says he thinks it's controlled demolition. If you had that degree of like ninety five percent plus of the surveyed structural engineers, would that have any influence at all on on your thinking on the subject? I think just uh, a bunch of people saying yes or no, and probably not. But if they're willing to talk about it and discuss their ideas, and, and mm-hmm. that I think that's always going to be an interesting conversation. I'm always open to new viewpoints, but if a viewpoint is yes or no, it doesn't really do much for me. And as far as like proving something scientifically, like you know, we asked a hundred scientists, no, that doesn't prove anything scientifically. In fact, no, nothing uh-huh. can really, in my in my mind, nothing can really prove anything either way. But the best thing we have is the scientific method. I think, right, this day and age, it seems that people talk about, oh, science, if you believe this, you're scientific, and if you believe this, you're anti-scientific, and you're anti-science. And I'm like, no, science isn't a set of dogmas. That's religion. You're getting confused with religion. Science is a process. Science is a process of like proving, questioning, trying to falsify, repeating. That's it's a, the scientific method. And I think we, I thought we were all agreed on this, that the, this, the scientific method is how you show things. And it, it, like, I get what you're saying. It's like it's an innocent question, but it's, it does bother me how, as a society, we seem to be drifting from the idea of the scientific method. Mm-hmm. And that's, isn't that what science is? I mean, I'm, sure. I, I know I'm saying this, I'm asking you this, because yeah. you're more of a science-based person than I am. So that's really my question to you. Well, I wasn't really like thinking about asking scientists there. I was thinking about asking structural engineers, like like experts uh, yeah, the, in the, in the, the field. The principle is the same, though. But in in terms of just find, trying to find a consensus among experts, rather than than trying to apply the scientific method, I mean, you do mm-hmm. you see a huge disparity between those two things, surely. Well, like suppose like you know your car was making a funny noise and you took it to a hundred right. different mechanics and like ninety nine <laughs> of them says that that's your fan belt. Uh, are you going to then demand that they all do scientific experiments to to show that dodgy fan belts make this noise? So you is, do you have an ultimate point here? You're trying to are you trying to say that the consensus is more effective. Than no, I'm not saying it's more effective. Method. I'm saying that it's something that is a valuable part of your consideration. Like if you're trying to decide like whether you think there's strong evidence that 9/11 mm-hmm. was an inside job. If you think you're trying to figure out if there's yeah, some reason for actually suspecting that this is true and you're trying to assign some probability as to whether it's true or not, then if you've got like a hundred engineers who are telling you that in their professional opinion, they've looked at the evidence and they think that it's this, isn't that going to be something that would actually influence your thinking? Or do you basically say it doesn't matter what any expert says? It doesn't matter if a thousand experts all said the same thing. You know, unless you can show me a model of the building collapsing, I'm going to say these experts might be all wrong. Well, I, I think I'm going to say what I said before is, is if the experts have something to say, then I'm always definitely interested in listening to what, what people have to say about it. I, right. I want to hear. But if it's just a case of yes or no, that's not really interesting to me. And if you're going to yeah. pray to survey in front of me, it's oh, look, I'm sure you say no. Then, well, that doesn't really tell me anything. It just all it is is like a, a finger pointing me saying you're wrong. Which, listen, I'm more than prepared to be wrong, but show me, like show okay. me, discuss with me. Let's talk about the important points, or let's apply the scientific method. So that, that's 
that's I guess that's where I stand on it. That's how I feel. Yeah, well, actually, when we did the the chemtrail study, we didn't just ask them yes or no on on these photographs. Uh, no. We said, here's here's the photograph, and uh, can you say what you think it is, uh, why you think that it's this thing, and if possible, supply a reference to something that supports uh, this this belief. So they, you would show them like a picture of a, a contrail that's got colours in it. And then they will say, I think this is an aerodynamic contrail and the colors are caused by diffraction interference effects. And, uh, uh, and then some of them will explain like how this actually occurs. And some of them actually gave like, references to papers that showed similar things happening. So it wasn't just a yes or no. It was actually, you know, they actually had to give it some thought and they had to actually justify uh, their, their beliefs. Now, if I could get like the engineers to say, you know, the... The buildings fell rapidly. Can you explain briefly why they fell so rapidly and why it wouldn't require explosives? And they gave like a short, you know, two paragraph explanation, like saying, you know, column buckling, floor, floor stripping, or whatever like that. Uh, would would that be a useful thing? Yeah, I think that could be very useful. I'd, I'd always, I'm always opening to hearing stuff like that. I want to hear stuff like that. I want to hear what people have to say. And I think one of the points I was making in our previous conversation was um, from a persuasion viewpoint, the the people who um, try to uphold the the official story of what happened, the official narrative, mm-hmm. are way behind the conspiracy <laughs> theorists. So from say so I was watching Richard Gage from Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. And he was doing a talk. It was one hour. It was an hour where I guess he just put his whole presentation, put all his best information forward. And at the beginning, he took a little survey among the people. I guess there are about 200 people there. And um, maybe half of them were um, either believed the official story or kind of unsure, like we could go either way. And then at the end, he got everyone to put his hands up again. And um, I think there were about 25 people who, who were unsure and one person who believed, you know, still believed the official story because it was a very, very persuasive hour of information. And, you know, I'd love to see something like that from the other side. Yeah. And so, and then the best that you have on your side, if we're going to talk about sides, I'm on one side and you're on the other side. If we're going to talk about sides, then your side, you had $16 million spent on this NIST report. You have a computer model, which I'm sure costs a lot of money to do, that doesn't show the collapse, the most important part. You have the you have data that hasn't been released. And and then there's zero discussion afterwards. And there's, there's a quite a few anomalies on that day. There are a few things that, while they don't necessarily prove conspiracy, they are worthy of discussion. And, you know, I think, really, look, I haven't been crusading uh, for the 9-11 truth movement I, I can until we had that discussion the other day i hadn't really been thinking about it much for years and years and years it's mm-hmm. not something that dominates my life but you know for a couple of days before we talked I, I was doing some research just to you know so that i could actually have a proper conversation with you and it and it did jog my memory and i was like yeah there, there are a lot of questions here and still after all these years after what 18 years we still haven't had answers to a lot of these questions and no matter what you say about conspiracy theorists, like, it, it, whether, or, whether or not these people are right or wrong, 
I think these questions are still legitimate. And and that's why I really wanted to talk to you. And I had a really good time talking to you. It's really fun to meet you. Thanks. But that's why I wanted to talk to you is, is because there are all these questions. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. There, there, there's a lot of stuff that is unresolved. And, well, and I think from your point of view, from your side, if you have the information, if you can, if you can disprove the conspiracy theories, please, please, like bring it to an end, put us out of our misery. <laughs> but it's, but we're still That's waiting. We're still waiting. I'm trying. I'm trying. So right. yeah. So like you, you talk about the two sides, like, and mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're. I mean, we're we're not on. We're not people at war here. We're both like trying to figure out what's true. We're on the same side. On, yeah. But we have different so opinions on, yeah, yeah, yeah. on certain and, aspects of it. Yeah, we, we're both trying to get to the truth. We're, we're joined for us on that. But it's actually it's more fun to have a discussion if one person takes one side and one person takes another. Oh, is that, that's the more interesting dynamic. There's well, no it point is. Both, yeah. <laughs> it so depends what you want to do. Do you just want to have fun or do you want to figure out what's true? It's uh, like well, I mean, we, I'm, we, I'm trying to... I like to have fun, but uh, right. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't try to just take a, a side just because it's fun to argue a certain position. Otherwise, I'd be, you know, I'd be trying out arguing the nine eleven side uh, well, just I, for fun. I think my point is, if if it was, um, if I was on the same side as you, no one would really want to listen to it to this yeah. podcast, and you, should, <laughs> and you should really be talking to somebody else. You know, you should find somebody That's else. That's true. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I have talked to 9-11 debunkers as well as well, people who are uh, 9-11 believers. And yeah, this, mm. you get interesting conversations on both sides. Okay. But it's mostly about the, the fact that there is a conflict is, uh, yeah. is what, uh, what the issue is. Well, I guess maybe I'm speaking more personally because I, mm. um, I love getting into discussions and debates with people but in a friendly way. And sometimes I learn a lot more than, you know, than I'm able to impart. So it's, uh, I, I think friendly discussions especially if you're trying to get to the truth it's a healthy thing and for me it is a fun thing it is fun for me yeah so when you uh you know you you went you did your research recently before you Uh did this other this other podcast and uh you spent a few days looking at things Mm -hmm. now and you said you saw this 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 one talk by richard gage Right. And and they said, oh, there's a bunch of good points. Now, do you feel like you became a bit kind of more convinced of the, the 9-11 as an inside job, uh, controlled demolition viewpoint after your research? So you did this three days of research. Do you think you were more convinced of it after than you were beforehand? I mean, that's a really good question. And I mean, in a, in a way, maybe I was, but I wasn't, not, not in the way that I used to be. I, once mm. upon a time, I was very convinced of myself. Now, after realizing I've been wrong about so many things over the years, I've, uh, I've, I've very little trust in any, in any viewpoint. So I'm, I'm always looking to prove or disprove any viewpoint. And I'm always open to new information. And I want new information. But um, I think what I became more convinced of was that these questions are legitimate questions and they're not being addressed. All right. All right. Did you find the experience different like uh, in terms of what you actually found on the internet? Because I know YouTube have changed their algorithms, so there seems less conspiracy stuff on there now. Like when you were searching, do you think it seemed more balanced than it was before or more skewed in the other direction? Um, Yeah. Years ago, YouTube was um, was a conspiracy theorist's delight. And now... It's hard to find conspiracy theory stuff. It's it's uh, 
the first few things you see are definitely not conspiracy theories. I, th I feel like a lot of stuff has been purged or suppressed on YouTube. And I'm not saying that as a conspiracy theorist. It's you know it's the way they want to run their site. That's fine. But it's um yeah it was it was probably harder to find stuff. So how did you find the Richard Gage uh, talk that you watched? Actually, that wasn't that hard to find. I mean, because I, I, remembered, I remembered his name. Architects. So right. if you put, type in Richard Gage, it actually comes up. But and I'm not saying like, everything's super suppressed. Everything's, you can still find a lot of stuff. But before, I felt there was just a lot more stuff. And probably a lot of it was rubbish as well. You know, Maybe, maybe yeah. YouTube just got rid of a lot of the dross. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, but definitely when you search now, you don't you don't get the the conspiracy stuff at the top, which you used to. You get uh, like you know CNN articles and things like that. So it's changed. Yeah. I was wondering if yeah, sure. uh, if you could possibly like cast yourself back to like two thousand and one, like if if you had searched online and there had been this kind of downplaying of conspiracy material back then, do you think you might you might not have you know fallen down that rabbit hole? I don't know. I mean, it's. I mean, it's impossible to say now. Yeah, I yeah. think. <laughs> I think back then I was quite motivated to do some good digging. You know. Yeah. So, do you believe in um, in other conspiracy theories uh, that are more extreme than the nine eleven controlled demolition conspiracy theory? Um. I say chemtrails. No, chem, no chemtrails. Like chemtrails, I was looked into a little bit, but then, you know, maybe I believed it for a minute, but then I, I couldn't really find anything to 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 confirm those beliefs. So, I I don't even think about chemtrails. I don't even know what the discussion is, where the, the discussion is at right now. I, I yeah. don't think I have any real um, extreme viewpoints, even like nine eleven. Like I said, I'm not a crusader for it. I just think there are some questions that need to be answered. I'm more, um, I, th I, I definitely believe that there's something up with the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's, and I think the whole, you know, the whole deep state thing that's becoming a, a story yeah. now, I think there's something going on there. I think are there some controlling forces behind everything? Like, I think that's a strong possibility, but I can't know any of these things, and I don't really know what my beliefs are. But definitely, there's some things that are wrong. I look at the history of um, U.S. foreign policy, and um, you know, ever since 9/11, we had Afghanistan, we had Iraq, um, Libya, even some of the things happening in Syria. And you know, none of this is controversial, but. but what is what always bothered me with Iraq and Afghanistan as well, and Libya as well, was the way that the mainstream media was so complicit in everything that um, that we're doing, and um, and where's where's the voices that are questioning these things? You know, the media does seem to get things wrong on a regular basis. You know, they don't seem to be, they don't really seem to be on our side when it comes to war, and it, it, the the media has really helped. Our government makes some bad, bad decisions. Yeah. So, you know, you th about, things, things like that bother me more than conspiracy right. theories. You talked a lot about the weapons of mass destruction uh, thing in my, our previous talk, where mm. they made up evidence about weapons of mass destruction and they went into Iraq. And you said that you thought that the big problem then, like you just said, was that the media wasn't talking about it. 
Uh, and so, you know, you said that lots of people around you thought that there probably wasn't weapons of mass destruction, but the media was all just basically repeating the government line. Mm-hmm. So my question to you about that is, like, and I remember this, this quite distinctly. I remember talking to people about it. I was actually taking flying lessons uh, like around that time, which is like, uh, I think, 2003-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, that I was, ta- was 2003. Yeah, I was taking flying lessons, and I remember talking to my flying instructor, who was a very conservative guy, like supporter of the government, and we were talking about the weapons of mass destruction, and he was he was saying like, "Well, I sure hope we find them there." And I remember saying, oh, "I don't, I don't really think that there are weapons of mass destruction there. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no real, real evidence." And this was, you know, at the time of of the the invasion. So, how did I arrive at the knowledge that there were all these questions about this, and how did you arrive at that, and how did all your friends arrive at that, and how did even my flight instructor be be aware of all these questions about? WNDs, if the media was so overwhelmingly in support of the government? Um, I know, right? I, I, I asked myself that as well. Like, how did I know? I, like, <laughs> I, I'm not a genius. How did I know that we didn't... How, how are there like half a million people marching in New York against, against the Iraq war? How, how are all those people there marching against the war? Like, and then the government is still... Oh yeah, no no no! They definitely got weapons of mass destruction. Oh, we've got to go to war. And how were we right? And they were wrong. But you're it, saying and, the media is supporting the government, and there must have been some the, main, the mainstream media. Well, yeah. okay. So there was one. One. Do you know? So MSNBC had this show on called Donahue, and okay, it was, yeah. uh, you know Donahue was back. It was his comeback show, and it was one of the highest rated shows. I think often it was the highest rated show, and from week to week, depending. Right. So. And it was the only show that um, the, that had an anti-war viewpoint. He wouldn't talk about the war every time, mm. but he would he would often have people on who would speak out against the Iraq war. This was in the run-up to the war, and then all of a sudden the show got canned. And then it was in the underground, like left-wingy kind of media, which I used to read a lot of at the time. There was a, there was an article about how you know well, there are plenty of articles about how you know this one guy who was the anti-war guy had been canned from MSNBC and it was the highest-rated show and whatnot. And then a couple of years later, there was this leaked memo came out from some board meeting at MSNBC saying, "Oh, we got to get rid of this show because we don't want to be the only we don't want to be the only network carrying a, a, an anti-war show and everyone else is waving the flag for war." And hmm. I remember. I remember my roommate at the time used to watch a lot of cable TV. So I ended up watching a lot of cable TV myself because you just come home and sit down you know, and be talking, whatever the TV would be on the whole time. So this was the only show that we could find. There was an anti-war show and New York times was um, very pro. And if anything should be anti-war, it should be the New York times. Right. There, I think there was some study done and I, I don't know the rest of the study, but it was not barely 90% of the coverage in New York Times is pro-war. Do you remember the Judith Miller thing? Do you remember the whole thing with Judith Miller? Uh, she, she, she was like, I will not release my sources. And all oh, the yeah. stuff was like pro-war, pro-war. And in the end, it, it, her source was Dick Cheney's assistant or something. You know, it was like some crazy thing where the New York Times really went to bat for this Judith Miller and it, it like to protect her source. And in the end, the source yeah. was, you know, it was the government. And it was just, if you just remember the time, you know, and I, I was, I was rabidly anti-war. You know, I was rabidly anti-war, and 
and you just yeah, couldn't find any support in the media. So, <laughs> but you keep saying I, that, that, but you're also saying that all your friends were like anti-war as well. And uh, well, see, yeah. anti, the, the few people that I would talk to about it, and I wasn't talking to everyone about the war, but yeah, like there was among my circle, yeah, definitely people were. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that. Are you you're trying to say that the media must have been anti-war? I think there must have to... been enough, not, not not so much anti-war, but like giving you the facts of like that there are these opposing voices. And like, you remember Hans Blick, the nuclear weapons UN inspector? Weapons, yeah. yeah, yeah, from the UN. There was loads of stories about Hans Blick back then. He was a guy who was kept saying that you know uh, we should be we should be we should be going into Iraq and investigating, and he doesn't think there's no evidence of nuclear weapons there, and there never was. Uh, so there's all this stuff about about him, and you know he was very critical of of the war, as I, as I remember. But you know, the media yeah. the media was reporting on that. Yeah, do you remember? Do you mind if we just do a, a real time fact check? Well, I was going to just search for uh, like the Donahue show and see why 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 what the what it says on the internet now about why it was cancelled. Mm-hmm. Yep. So just to summarize our research that we did over mm-hmm. the last uh, two minutes, because I'm probably going to edit right. this down. Um, he, Donahue had two shows, uh, one in the 90s that got cancelled for low ratings uh, because it wasn't as popular as the more tabloid-style shows. He was doing more hard news-type stuff. And then in 2002, he had a comeback, which had initially uh, like good ratings, then it went down, and they cancelled it. Uh, but it actually was did very very well in the last month. Uh, I think probably after they announced the cancellation, and it, it did better than Chris Matthews and Joe Scarborough's show. Uh, and this, there is a mention of this this memo uh, that Donahue had to be fired because he would be quote a difficult public face for NBC in a time of war. Uh, but the reference to that doesn't uh, doesn't seem to exist anymore, even on the Wayback Machine. I- and you remember the New York Times um, made a public apology for supporting the war in Iraq. I don't. I don't. I don't remember. It's entirely possible, though, because they were unquestioning in their belief uh, of what the government was was spoon feeding them about the the the, the WMDs. Uh, so it certainly wouldn't surprise me. Okay, so this is from this is from the Guardian. I don't have the date, but the Guardian says the New York Times today issued an extraordinary mea culpa over its coverage of Iraq, admitting it had been misled about the presence of weapons of mass destruction by sources including the controversial Iraqi leader Ahmad Chalabi. In a note to readers published today under the headline The Times and Iraq, the editors of the newspaper said they had found a number of instances of coverage that was not as rigorous as it should have been. So I think there was a lot of hand-wringing after the fact. I think there's that's not in the realms of conspiracy theory, right? That's researchable. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean, you, I think you're still kind of suggesting a kind of a conspiracy there, that there was a conspiracy in the media to downplay it deliberately. But then how does this apology then tie into that? Why are they apologizing? Well, by the time the Iraq war is um, started, it's too late, isn't it? I mean, it's, they've done their job now. I mean, and I'm not saying necessarily that was the case, but that's the optics. But so you think that the the apology that they they're giving now is also part of you know what they've been directed to do by their uh, you know corporate masters? No, no, no. That's that would be whether they got it right by des- sorry whether they got things wrong by design or by mistake. You're still mm. going to issue an, an apology because you're just trying to claw back your credibility. 
Okay, so my point really is this, Nick, is like after, after the weapons of mass destruction fiasco, the, the media, and to a large extent, the government and our intelligence services, lost a lot of credibility with me. Right. I'm, I'm unwilling to take anything at face value anymore. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people feel the same way. And we, we take things at face value because it's the easy, easy thing to do. It's bit, and, and people do it all the time. But, you know, a lot of people, I remind them, oh, you remember the whole weapons of mass destruction thing? And people are like, oh, yeah. And yeah. people know what I'm talking about. It was, uh, it was, it was you know, a dark time for the press. Yeah, no, and I, I remember that, that time quite distinctly. But, you know, like I said, I do remember there being uh, opposing voices as well. But obviously, if the New York Times is apologizing now, then they're, they're doing it because their, their, their coverage at the time really wasn't very good. Well, I think this, this apology, I was reading from The Guardian, I didn't have a date, I apologize, but this is from a long time ago, I'm sure. This is from like yeah. probably 2005 or something. Yeah, it's very interesting that they did that. Does that, um, does that help at all, the, the apology? Does it help restore a little bit of your faith in the media? Um, honestly, no. <laughs> no, not really. You know, I mean... It, okay, so I tell you another thing. Tell me what you think of this. Actually, I, I was interested. I wanted to ask you this: the whole thing with the uh, Russia collusion. Remember the whole yeah. Russia collusion thing? We had this. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know how long the investigation is—two years, three years—and I always felt there wasn't really any evidence there. And I remember talking to a friend of mine, and I'm like, we were just talking about it, and I was, uh, I said, but what's the evidence? And this is another time when someone got kind of mad with me, and he was—he just. And that, that was the only question I asked. Like, well, what's the evidence? And he's like, I don't need any evidence. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I just, I know it's true. And, and I'm like, his, normally we, his often has a different viewpoint to me, but we can have some nice, fun conversations about stuff. But this, at uh, this point, he, he didn't seem like he was willing to have a nice, friendly conversation about it. So I just let it go. But you know, like, I, I generally shy away from talking to people about all this because Trump is such an emotive like, figure. Or inspire such 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 amazing emotions, but I always felt there wasn't anything there, and I was waiting to hear the evidence. But at the same time, the press, with, with seemingly without any evidence, it seems to be seems to fuel this whole thing. And then when the investigation happens, and at the end, there's like, oh yeah, we couldn't find anything. I'm like, well, I mean, I kind of thought that was going to happen to begin with. And again, the media has like proven to me that they're not really trying to get to the truth. I feel like they're just trying to sell papers or like trying to get viewers. Well, there was two things in that, that investigation. There was the, the collusion. Was there any collusion between the, uh, right. the, the Trump campaign and the Russians? And then mm -hmm. there was like, was the, did the Russians interfere in the election? Now, would you agree that there was evidence that the Russians interfered in the election, even if there wasn't like actionable evidence that that the Trump campaign uh, was connected to that? Well, if I'm right, the evidence that the Russians interfered in the election is like some like click farm that was posting like rage bait articles. That there was yeah. there was some anti-Trump stuff. There's some anti-Clinton stuff, and it seemed like they were trying to sow discord. And they spent like a couple of couple of hundred thousand dollars, and I think that was the extent of of what we know. And it wasn't, and and I think the ties to the Kremlin or ties to the government are assumed. But it's it whatever it was, and I might have my facts a little bit wrong, but whatever it was seemed pretty low key. It didn't seem like anything crazy. 
but the there was um but the i think really the 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 big thing was Russia collusion. Whether or not Russia did anything to interfere with our elections is one thing. And of course, you know, it's important, should be looked at. I think the, the thing that people was, really had to, um, had to be under their bonnets about was uh, Donald Trump colluding with Russia, with the Russian government or with Putin to win the election, which I always felt there was no evidence for. And I'm, it could, I mean... Did, did you were you into that? Did you think there was some evidence? Yeah, or were, I, I think your thoughts. Yeah, I think there isn't. Uh, I think there, there's not enough evidence to to convict him of of doing that. Uh, but I think near the Mueller report, there was a lot of connections. You know, a lot of stuff that was you know, could be argued to be circumstantial. The conclusion wasn't that you know Trump is absolutely innocent. The conclusion was that there well, isn't enough evidence to uh, to support any kind of prosecution. What was the biggest piece of evidence for you that, that made you think that it might be there might be something there? Uh, I think there was things like the uh, the meeting in Trump Tower where they they had a meeting where there was a person you know, from the Russian uh, side who had some dirt on Hillary Clinton that they were trying to sell, and then later, uh, like Trump Jr. said, "Oh, that this meeting was just about adoption or something like that." Uh, and then it came out later that there was a lot more people there, and that the 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 meeting was actually about the Russian people uh, trying to give this intelligence or sell this intelligence or whatever to the Trump campaign, or uh, try to you know, give the, give this dirt. But maybe there wasn't anything there. But it seemed like the Trump campaign was trying to get dirt from uh, from this person on on hillary clinton but wasn't wasn't there that a case of like there's someone was repeatedly emailing donald trump jr saying like let's have this meeting i've got we've got some information from you know the russians have dug out some information hillary clinton we want to tell you this information and then finally donald trump's like yeah sounds great and then they turn up to this meeting and there's there's no well, information, right? That's, that, that's what happened, right? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's what he says. But you know, that that still indicates that he wanted uh, to get mm-hmm. information from from the Russians on you know people who were Russian. It doesn't mean it was the Russian government, uh, but you know, that that was the thing that kind of uh, you know it seemed clear to me that there was some kind of that they would do it if the Russian government said, "Here's some information. We've hacked into the DNC servers and we've got this uh-huh. this stuff and we're going to leak it. Is that is that okay with you?" You know, there's things like uh, what's his name, Stone. Stone had connections with the WikiLeaks guy or somebody like that, and uh, he he knew in advance that there was going to be this information dump from from WikiLeaks uh, about mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember what, what the details were exactly, but uh, right. you know, there, there are connections with him, like some guy in Russia. So the, mm-hmm. the things going. I mean, yeah, Stone's Stone's in jail now. He's in prison now uh, for for lying about it. He's in prison for a process crime, right? You mean a process crime? You mean that lying to investigators? Yeah, it wasn't for anything that he did before the, no. the FBI started interviewing him. He's like, that's fine. It's just because he said, I guess he contradicted himself to the FBI, whoever was questioning him, and they're like, aha. You lied to us, therefore you'd be sending you to prison. Is that what happened with him? I believe it's something like that. But you know, why was he lying? Uh, you know, if you're lying to investigators, that kind of implies that you're 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 uh, you're, you're covering up stuff like that. Mm. There was other things as well, like the the cyber attacks on the the Democrats, which were organised by the uh, the the GRU. Um, they were actually you know sending these phishing emails to people. Uh, the, the DNC trying to like get their passwords so they can log in, and you know these are actual hacking attempts that were done 
by what intelligence services say was Russian intelligence was doing so these that, things. Is that, all we, is that all we have that actually, you know, we're getting into this whole sideline about talking about the, right. the, the Russia collusion thing. I guess this is my point is, and maybe we disagree on it. And like it, this, this, the information we had was not worthy of a two or three year investigation. And to, like, it, it swallowed up a lot of, a lot of media time and a lot of energy and it left us not one tiny bit better at yeah. the end than we were at the beginning. We didn't get anywhere with that. Well, yeah, we got a lot of people in jail for some for actual crimes. We got a bunch of Russian nationals who are charged with crimes. We got a lot more information about what the Russians actually did in terms of uh, of, of, of hacking uh, attempts and uh, doing all these targeted ads on, on Facebook trying to influence the election. So I think, you know, we got a lot of stuff out of it. If you read the Mueller report, there's lots of interesting information in there. You can read the the uh, the Wikipedia article on Russian interference in the 2016 United States elections. Very interesting and lots of well-referenced uh, things from the investigation. So I wouldn't say you got nothing out of it. You know, just because, like, uh, Trump comes off... Uh, Trump didn't get indicted uh, on that. I didn't, it doesn't mean that the investigation itself didn't uncover a bunch of uh, useful and actionable items. But, you know, I think, you know, we're, we, like you say, we're getting into the the weeds of things here and i think it's it's interesting like you know just i'm thinking about it as we're talking you know why why do i believe what i believe and why do you believe what you believe you know i think we both obviously we have our biases you asked me you know what i thought of uh, the investigation and now i was thinking back to it and i don't i don't remember that many of the details of it like so i had to go go and look on the wikipedia page and see see what i could remember and uh you know i think a lot of people kind of accept things, including me, just accept things without reading them in detail. I haven't read uh, the entire Mueller report, you know, from end to end. I read like little bits of it and Uh I haven't really looked into all this evidence, but I I do, I guess I do accept uh, a certain viewpoint without fully investigating it. And I think this is, this is a a problem probably on both sides is that if if you, you challenge me on something, I can't always back it up straight away. And I think, listen, that's true for everybody. I think we all do that to some extent or another. I think, you you know, maybe you probably do it a lot less than most people. But it's it's just the way we're built. It's the way things are. And we live in this world now with so much information, so much conflicting information. And then have you ever heard of that um, that idea that we have, we're like this, all, all Americans are looking at the TV and we're watching two different movies watching two hmm. different movies play out and yeah say so you, you like someone takes the anti-trump viewpoint someone takes a pro-trump viewpoint not only you're on different sides of the argument you're actually watching two different movies play out you're watching the same things on the screen but you're experiencing these things in completely different ways yeah so when you're talk, when i'm talking about the russia collusion i'm like oh it's a hoax oh what a mess it's like these people it's just like lies conjecture in your window today but you're saying oh no there's some serious things here there's you know and I'm not going to discount what you say because I respect you. I respect your insight. You're, you're a smart person. You probably can make some good points. At the same time, it's like, I, it's the, the way I feel about the whole Russia collusion thing. I'm like, this was a massive waste of time. I could have predicted the ending for you, you know, with with relative confidence in my in in you know my prediction coming true, and 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 I would have been right. But it's um, we're watching, you know, we it's two different completely two different experiences but we're watching a lot of this we're watching a lot of the same stuff yeah so it's it's and it's a weird it's a weird weird time and i think now listening to the listen into looking into conspiracy theories 
because politics is such a crazy place and I don't have time to look into conspiracy theories like the news and, you know, the differing viewpoints, that's more than enough to, to fill up the part, that part of my brain. You know, and I think the, and the funny thing is, I think a lot of people who support Trump are former conspiracy theorists. I think that's a common thing. And I think you'll find that. And I think you'll find a lot of conspiracy theorists you talk to probably are either Trump supporters or at least sympathetic towards Trump. Yeah. No, you, I mean, you see that uh, the, the, the whole QAnon thing uh, is a conspiracy theory amongst Trump supporters, essentially, which is it's an interesting yeah. thing. Is, is that still big? Do people still pay attention? To yeah, that? I think it, I think it's kind of fading away because uh, you mm-hmm. know, it didn't didn't nothing came true, but uh, it's still popular because it's such an, an enticing thing. But I want to get back to what you were saying about the the two movies. I thought that was a fascinating point, and I think it's you know it's great that you brought it up, and I think it's something that people really really need to be aware of that when somebody else is watching something it's it's they have a completely different perception and this kind of was hit home for me recently i I watched a documentary called the brainwashing of my dad Mm -hmm. and in this documentary is about this woman whose father has been uh kind of brainwashed by listening to conservative talk radio and he becomes like a a rush limbaugh ditto head uh and you know very conservative uh, hating mm-hmm. the liberals, you know, hating immigration and you know, welfare and things like that. And so this is what the whole movie is about: this, 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 you know, brainwashing by conservative, the conservative media. And then the mother, the the woman, the the daughter, actually manages to kind of like bring him back to her side, her point of view, the more liberal point of view, by mm-hmm. switching his his radio over to NPR occasionally, and so he gets a bit of that, or leaving a copy of The Economist on his bedside table or something. I don't know exactly what she did. Uh, and so she kind of wins him back. And so I, 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 I kind of recommend this movie because I thought it was very interesting. Mm, uh, and, interesting. But uh, I have a, uh, a conservative friend who said she thought that the, the brainwashing aspect was all about the, the woman brainwashing her father mm-hmm. uh, to be a liberal. So it's kind of like one man's brainwashed is another man's woke. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, like she she thought that you know this guy had been yeah you know, not she doesn't agree with everything Rush Limbaugh says obviously but uh, she thought that this guy had been woken up by the conservative media to the you know the um, reality of like you know how how bad like runaway liberalism is and then she had brainwashed uh, him back uh, to uh, to being a liberal whereas I thought that he had been brainwashed by the conservative talk radio and that she had woken him up back to the reality of, you know, that liberalism is actually a good thing. So this is completely almost opposite. I was, I was really surprised when, when this happened. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, something I have to think about now. And then whenever you're talking to somebody, you've really got to see how are they, uh, how are they viewing this? And I, I read a book recently called uh, mm-hmm. How to Have Impossible Conversations by Peter Bogosian. And, and he talks about this and how, People like on, from different worlds, like say religious or non-religious or conservative or liberal, often attach very different meanings to words like like morality and justice and uh, mm. and mm-hmm. things like that. So if you talk about something being, you know, like uh, the right thing to do, people might have a very different idea of what that is. Is it a pragmatic right thing to do, or is it a noble uh, justice-based right thing to do? Uh, or is it based on right. principles? Is it based on you know what gives a, a certain desired outcome? So you you really have to be aware of the, the what the other person's 
use of languages. And I think often people are talking at completely cross purposes because of that. And a hundred percent that definitely happens. And what happens is, uh, is what, like people end up in their own echo chambers and you, you the Rush Limbo and NPR is like two totally different things. Mm. Never the twain shall meet. And yet, really, it's in, the, in between, in the middle, like having these conversations is the best hope we have of getting to the truth. So just because someone like, believes a lot of what Rush Limbaugh says, doesn't mean they're incapable of having a proper conversation. A lot of people are capable of, ch- of changing their minds or explaining their viewpoints. And I think like a lot of conservative viewpoints are very interesting and can be very helpful. And same with a lot of liberal viewpoints, too. And, you know, I think what you're doing is trying to have conversations and trying to open up, like, discussions and and maybe even debate, you know. But it's but just having nice, polite conversations and showing that people with different viewpoints are able to have friendly discussions. That's an important thing. And I think that's kind of what's been missing because if you listen to Fox and if you listen to MSNBC, you're getting two completely different, everyone's looking at the same thing, but we're getting to two completely different stories. There's, there's gotta be some room for polite discussion and, and trying to explore these ideas and try and, and try and figure out where the truth really lies, because I don't trust Fox. I don't trust MSNBC. I don't trust any of these people. You can't, I mean, there's, and at the end of the day, that's the problem is there's no one that you can trust. You can't trust NPR. Mm-hmm. You, you can't trust anybody because it, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has a viewpoint. Confirmation bias exists with everybody. You know, we're all prone to it. And, um, and the, the, the worst thing is with this horrible divide that we have in the country right now is the discussions aren't happening. People aren't talking as much as they should be. And this, if they are, it, it often tends to be angry. If you go on Facebook, you can see these, these conversations play out and we don't need to be, we don't need to be that way. We can be, we can just chill out. We can relax a little bit and have some friendly conversations. And I don't think everything's going to heal overnight, but bit by bit with people like you doing with doing what you're doing. I think there's more and more people who want to have rational conversations, who want to have friendly discussions with people they disagree with. Gradually, maybe things can heal. But right now we're in the country's in such a state, like politically, that it's um it's, it's almost disturbing really yeah it is and yeah that's yes i totally agree with all of that and i think that having these conversations is very important and it's partly why i do it uh and i think that yeah this is there's going to be more of this going forward because people are realizing that this this division in the country is 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 very harmful and heading in a harmful direction and that we need to talk to each other even if we greatly disagree with each other, we need to actually have the conversation so we can, at the very least, understand uh, each other and then try to move forward. Even if we disagree, we at least understand each other and we can uh, uh, do something constructive rather than, than destructive. Yeah, 100%. So, well, that's that's a very, I think, a very good place to, to kind of right. close things out on. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before before we finish up? No, no, but, um, you know, if you ever want to chat again, Mick, always down. I enjoy talking with you. Yeah, no, that's, that definitely we can we can do another one on, on 9-11. We can do a World Trade Center, Building 7 specific, or we can do more broader topics. Because uh, yes, I'm always always up for a good 9-11 discussion. <laughs> um, All right, sounds good, man. Thank you very much, Tom, and hope to have you again uh, on soon. That would be great, Mick. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a great day, man. You too. Bye.